The EY Ireland CEO Outlook Report is out now. Search ey.com slash ie slash CEO and discover the key topics on the minds of Ireland's leading CEOs. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm speaking with Stephen Garvey, Chief Executive of Glenvay Properties, one of the country's biggest house building firms. Glenvay recently presented a plan to the Minister for Housing, Darrell O'Brien, suggesting changes to building regulations that would result in new houses getting smaller gardens to allow for more homes to be built on sites. This led to a lot of negative commentary with many experts seeing it as a move to increase profits and reduce costs. Glenvay argues that in fact it would enable it to give buyers a house with their own front door and eliminate the need to build apartments in suburban areas to meet with rules and densities. Stephen Garvey explains the concept to me. He also outlines the possible price reductions that could be achieved and gives me his view on where house prices might go over the next 12 months in light of the ECB's planned interest rate increases. Here we go. Stephen Garvey of Glenvay Properties, welcome back to Inside Business. Now, your proposal that gardens um, should be reduced in size to allow for more housing, more compact housing on sites has certainly generated plenty of column inches over the past uh, 10 days or so since this first emerged. Can you just explain to us, uh, first of all, the genesis of this and what exactly it is you're proposing to the government that they should do in terms of building standards? Good morning, Kieran. Yes, first, I suppose Ireland has an accommodation crisis and we have a choice. We can choose to keep doing the same things exactly the same and hoping that somehow we will increase supply and we can reduce the cost of houses. Or we can have, I suppose, a mature debate to argue both proposals from the private sector and the public sector in their merits to help alleviate this crisis. I suppose on a number of fronts, what our proposal is predominantly focused on is suburban developments. In suburban developments today, we have to achieve a density that came from the national planning framework of 40 units per hectare. To achieve that density of 40 units per hectare, we have to apply 55% to our own door housing and 45% of apartments. And what we are proposing is to keep the density same as 40 units per hectare, not increase it, not decrease it, but instead change the mix by taking out the apartments and applying more own door housing. By producing more own door housing, it gives the consumer a better outcome. So the people who purchase the apartments that have only six square meters of private garden space, they now get 40 square meters. So we've equalized the private space across the development. And what this allows for into the future is there's a more universal use of the the home that I suppose if people want to upsize their house into the future, they can do so by building on extensions because you have 40 square meters of private open space. In apartments, you can't change their their formation through any life cycle. So once you buy an apartment, you are in the apartment for life. But what we're applying here is it gives you more flexibility to increase sizes and it allows for a bit of better tenure. In our design standards that we've applied, what this allows is you can have single family occupants, you can have upsized families, and you can also allow for downsizers. As part of what we looked at was, we looked at the complete demographics of our customer out there and tried to apply as much product as possible. So it caters for people who want to start out to purchase a house, people who want to trade up, but also for downsizers, maybe 55 or older who want to downsize into bungalows that have better accommodation for their future needs. What it also allows is, as, as by, by removing the cost of the apartments, which are the most expensive element of the construction site, this allows the overall cost to reduce. And we think this is a better outcome for everyone. 
both our consumer, because we can see what our consumer needs out there, both from affordability and, and also their life cycle needs as well. But this, this, by removing the apartments, lowers the cost of the entire development. As we outlined in our document, this is not just available to Glenvay. This is available to everyone. This is available to both private sector and public sector, to approved housing bodies, local authority and the land development agency. By reducing the overall cost of construction, you create more viability out there. You bring more locations online that aren't online today. And if we produce more homes across the sector, this inevitably will help to reduce the cost, but also alleviate the supply demands out there. Okay, let's just take a step back uh, for a moment then. Um, currently in, in your development that you're talking about, uh, how big are the back gardens in these uh, for the houses, for people with their own doors? So in a two-bedroom home at the moment, and all local authorities differ across the 31 local authorities, in a two- or three-bedroom home, the, squ- the square metres of the back gardens can range from about 55 square metres to 65 square metres. But the apartments range from six square metres to about nine square metres. So we see our, our people who buy our houses have very large back gardens. And then the people who unfortunately have to buy the apartments because they're, they have to be delivered to meet the density requirements only get somewhere between six and nine metres. What we've tried to do in this proposal is equalise that to make, make it fairer for people across the board. So you were saying squeeze the garden size down to 40 square metres. Everybody gets that. Everyone gets that. You will be able to fit more houses uh, into a development. Everybody will essentially have their own front door. Everyone will have their own front door. They'll have rear garden back size to, to the back of their homes. And, and it gives a more, it gives a fair balance of private open space. It also helps to reduce the overall cost. And I suppose another big benefit of, of our proposal is that it also helps to reduce management charge costs because in a development where you have a, an apartment block, you have quite expensive management charges. By removing the apartments and let, letting everyone have owned or homes, You've now reduced that cost or eliminated that cost. So how big is a a 40 square meter uh, back garden just to help people visualize it versus, let's say, 60 square meters? What what are we talking about? So if you took if you took a three bedroom home today, it's about the exact same size as a three bedroom home on its downside, on its ground floor. So basically what you would have is if you take the internal space of of a three bedroom home, it would be the external space. To the, to the rear of the, of the property. You also have to take into account, and, and this is where people are sometimes missing the point, by providing owned or product, you also have to accommodate curtilage to the front. So in apartment blocks, you usually have underground parking. Now, by providing owned or product, you actually get space to the front. So ironically, you're gaining on multiple fronts here. Yeah, although you, usually that's just a couple of car parking spaces, isn't it? It, it is, but, 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 but it would be your space. And I suppose that's the big advantage that everyone would have their own space. And really what this is about, Kieran, is this is just taking where we are. We all have to accept that we have to use our land better. And we didn't try to, the easiest thing to us to say to reduce the cost was just bring the density down, but that won't work with where we're going with future compact growth. So what we said was take the present rules, see how it works and see how we can design a better product to cater for all the consumers out there. And that's, that was the principles of what we tried to design. And by eliminating the, the apartments, which are the most expensive element to, to deliver, and by equalizing all the private open space for all the consumers, there was a better outcome and a better mix. And ultimately, this reduced the cost of the product. Yeah. And, and just, I suppose, Karen, just what we're seeing from our customer, because this is the most important point. We are on the front line day in, day out. We have to deal with the planning system. We have to deal with the regulatory system. We have to deal with the cost of producing the product. 
Um, we see it from all fronts. And then we also have to, we can pick up that knowledge from our customer that we're serving on a daily basis. If you take the two biggest house builders in Ireland today, they're producing more than the 31 local authorities combined. So we have the real data and seeing what our consumer needs, but also where the costs are being applied and what's driving up the costs. And I suppose it was from there we were able to take the study. How can we make this better for a better outcome for both society and for the consumer that needs product into the future? And by now, instead of having 55% of the product just being viable for consumers, you're now making 100% of the product viable for consumers. So that's a better outcome across the board. And these principles are not just our principles. These principles have been taken up in the UK. Some of the regu regulations that we operate in today are all over 100 years old. And in the UK, they've recognized that those standards aren't applicable today and have changed them. And they have better outcomes in their housing at the moment. And we're just making the proposal. What we've seen in, in other jurisdictions where they've looked at, at amending regulations they have seen better outcomes. And we're just saying what well, best practice is internationally. Maybe we should look at some of these. Can they make a difference? And we think they can. I suppose most people wouldn't have been aware of the regulations uh, going back over 100 years. The fact that there had to be that sort of level of uh, separation. What is it? Is it 22 metres so from back door to back door? So, so in most developments, the minimum we have to achieve is 22 metres. Ironically, to comply with a quantum of regulations, that actually may have to increase. So instead of having just 22 metres, in some scenarios, we have to increase that up to 26 or 27 square metres because you have to apply all the rules together. And what we're saying is that has to a degree, those rigid rules have caused the issues of how we lay out our developments. And really what this stemmed from was in 2017, when the MPF outlined compact growth and the density that we had to deliver, we had to increase our density, but we didn't amend our regulations, which ultimately drove up the cost of producing the product that we have out there. Whereas what we're saying is look at those regulations. How can we increase flexibility to supply the product that is in most demand from the consumer out there? Yeah, no, I think a lot of people would say that a 40 square meter garden, it sounds great, but um, it's actually not very big. Uh, and, you know, in modern life and especially with COVID and the impact that's had on everybody and the fact that we were locked down and who knows, maybe we'll have other viruses in the future and we'll be locked down again. That A 40 square meter garden, particularly for a family, isn't huge. But think about it this way, Kieran. How about the family that's living in the two bedroom apartment that only have six square meters? How is that fair? And I suppose what we've tried to do is equalize the private open space for everyone. 40 square meters is a substantial amount of space. Um, I think it more than accommodates what, what the consumer needs out there. And that's definitely what we're seeing from the feedback from our consumers, that a lot of private open space that are in some of the gardens is actually dead space. If we get if we get better quality private open space where the consumer could use it more for all year round, that would be a better outcome. So So swap quality for quantity. And that's what we would argue is the better outcome from our proposal. How many houses are actually imp impacted by this 22 meter rule, you know, from backdoor to backdoor? How many schemes are impacted by that? So all schemes today were and, and take it into the context of, of the first point that to lay out a development today of, say, I don't know, 400 units on a development, 55 percent of them are usually owned or two and three bedroom homes, which will have 22 square meters. But the other 45% will be apartments and duplexes, which will have that six to nine square meters. So about 55% will, will, you will be adjusting, but the other 45% will be nearly getting a five to 600% gain of private open space. And we think ultimately that makes the biggest difference. 
By the way, when you're talking about uh, garden space for apartments, what garden space are you, do you mean? So the only garden space that a that an apartment has today is its balcony. So it's external to, it's external veranda that's on most uh, apartments today. So that ranges from six square meters to about nine square meters, depending on the size of the apartments, which we think that's unfair. If you think about a family of three people or four people who live in a three bedroom apartment, because a lot of people are advocating that three bedroom apartments are potentially a solution. Nine square meters is not a lot of open space for that family to live in in a crisis, whereas 40 square meters is a better outcome. And all we're saying is there's an alternative here to both give a better outcome for 100% of people. Because remember, by reducing the costs, you're not just affecting the person that's living in the apartment, you're also helping the consumer that's buying the tree bed. Because what we're seeing on most of our developments today is, and this is very simple how the sums are working is, the viability of the apartments are non-existent. To build two one and two bedroom apartments in the suburbs is costing us 450,000 to, to deliver. But the price of the house is way back in the 300s. And what is happening at the moment is the person who's buying the three bedroom house or the two bedroom house is subventing the cost of the apartments because we can't achieve 450,000. So to make the product viable, to deliver any of the product, we have to up the cost of the three bedroom home. So all in all, everyone is a really big winner from this. It's not just the person that's got gone from six square meters to 40 square meters. It's actually the entire consumer across the board is benefiting because by removing the really expensive product to produce, you've now made a better outcome for all the costs and ultimately that can make cheaper delivery into the future. All right, let's talk about this um, uh, scheme of 100 uh, units that you've kind of used as a typical example. How much is the housing in that uh, unit and how much is an apartment? I'll go back to the point that the apartments are, are costing us about 450000 to produce. And that's that's across this. These aren't our costs, by the way. We, we to, to make our proposal to give it the best merits possible, we used external costs in this. And this was from the Society of Charter Surveyors costs. Um, that's what it's costing to produce an apartment and the houses are much cheaper. So the, the ratio is somewhere between 350 and 450 is usually the, the difference. But by producing all owned or product, you've now reduced the cost by up to 20%. And just in simple terms, and, and this is something that we're seeing across, to build a two bedroom apartment of about 800 square foot or, or 75 square meters roughly, it is costing us about 100% more than it is to build a two-bedroom house of, of 75 square metres. It's roughly 100% in, in construction costs. Okay, costs. let's let's put that in sort of real money terms. So the, the two-bed apartment, 75 square metres, how, how much to the, to the buyer? To the buyer, to, to make it viable for the, for the developer to produce it is taking an average of around 450,000 to produce. But there isn't demand. It's neither affordable nor it's neither viable to produce it. So we can't achieve the 450,000. And to make most developments work today, what's happening is you're losing money on building the apartments. And to make up that, you have to charge more for, for your two and three bedroom houses. So what are you charging for the two bed, the two bed equivalent house? We have two bedroom homes at the moment for on the market for about 330 to 40,000 at the moment. But to build the apartment of the equivalent size, we're going to have to achieve 450. We won't achieve the 450. So what ends up happening is the two bedroom house has to come up in, in cost. Okay. Or you sell to a fund. I mean, um, these apartments have been sold to funds, aren't they? These, these apartments that we're focusing on and where we've predominantly focused is, these are in suburban locations. The institutions that are buying apartments today are only buying really inside the M50 and one or two developments uh, uh, in other cities. This has been the fundamental problem. 
the viability of these apartments that we're now presently putting onto our schemes, there is limited demand out there for them. The institutions don't want to buy them because they're not viable for them. And then we're, we're to a degree, we're forced into having to break them up and sell them into approved housing bodies or local authorities and things like that. So that's not a great outcome either. Whereas what we're proposing with 100% owned door gives more viability to the overall scheme and allows for a better tenure as well, because you can your customer can come from being a very first time buyer, a single person, all the way down to a, a, a downsizer or a retiree. And, and if you think about how the housing market's evolving and what we're seeing out there, we're seeing our customer, not just our, our family that come in that are 35 or 36 years of age, a couple who want to buy their first home. We're also seeing their parents come with them as well, because in some scenarios, because childcare is so expensive, the parents are now moving with the family to help them to, 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 you know, to look after their children during the day. And we've seen that demand out there from some of our customers where uh, people who are 65 or 70 years of age have no product offering for them. And what we've put in our proposals is an element or a percentage of our development will be single or, or, or one and two bedroom uh, bungalows. And, and bungalows are in a big demand out there from some customers because what they want to do is have the use that it's, it's a universal use as they, as they get older, that they can stay closer to their family and that they don't have to worry about very large back gardens. They can now have communal open space that's better looked after. So there's a win-win for society across the board with our proposal because this is, as, as we look into the, the housing market into the future, we can see the demographics are telling us that the biggest demand into the future will actually come from downsizers because there's there's people that are living in three and four bedroom housing at the moment that are in certain locations who ultimately are now down to a single person in that, that unit. And what they need to do is they need to downsize because they don't really want to spend the cost of upgrading or retrofitting this product because it's too expensive and, and the use of that isn't, isn't necessarily going to be for them into the future. And they're actually out there looking for a, a physical product that they can actually trade down to so they can sell their three and four bedroom home and then downsize into a one and two bedroom product as well. So across the board, everyone wins in our proposal, we believe. With increasing pressures, Ireland CEOs are working hard to navigate the rapidly evolving business landscape. The EY Ireland CEO Outlook Report takes a deeper dive into the topics that are on the minds of Irish CEOs at the moment, and importantly, the issues that leaders should be paying attention to. Discover the key actions to consider as you seek to reshape the future of your organisation at ey.com slash ie slash CEO. Now, in terms of profit margins, I just want to get back to the numbers on the unit. So it's 450k for... Uh, for an apartment, what kind of what's the profit on that apartment for uh, for Glenvie? In our proposal, what we said was that we we had done our costs on on what the costs were out there at the moment, and applied finance costs and what the finance costs are for the industry, not just for Glenvie but for the industry, and then allowed whoever was producing the product to have a ten percent operating profit. So ten percent, so forty five k, would say forty five thousand was it was ten percent operating profit for for the but but go back to my point, Kieran. And, and, and I think everyone's missing this point. If the accommodation crisis wasn't out there, everyone would be producing product. But the viability is the biggest issue. And viability is the biggest challenge for the industry to respond to produce as much product. 
the profit isn't in the product. And that's why it's not being produced because of the expense of producing it, because we can't achieve those prices. The product is not produced. So the easiest solution we could all come to is let's just put more money to this. We came from the other way where actually how can we reduce the cost to reduce the overall price of the product? And ultimately, the taxpayer doesn't have to put more money into this. Because this is, if you, if you think about where we are at this moment in time, in the planning system at this moment in time, we have probably about 75,000 units granted. Of that 75,000, about 80% potentially are apartments, which means the own door scheme houses are down to less than 20%. So the challenge into the next number of years is the product that is going to cost the most amount of money to produce and is in is the majority of the product that's in the system. The challenge to produce that is we are going to have to put more subvention to just simply produce that because the consumer who wants to that needs to buy a home out there simply can't get to those numbers. Stephen, why is it so expensive to buy apartments? What is the cost um, for the purchaser? Why is it costing €450,000 for That's, a two-bed, 75-square-metre apartment? That is simply the cost of producing. The apartments are more expensive to produce on a number of elements. The superstructure costs of the apartments are way greater than, than the houses. And if you think about it this way, they're a more complex build. And, and, and remember, I'm not, I'm not saying that apartments aren't required. Apartments are going to be still required in the city centres. And absolutely, that's where they make the most sense. But apartments to produce, you have elements of underground car parking. You have far greater certification with apartments. You have far greater finance costs with apartments. If you're building an apartment block today of, say, 300 units, and that's the minimum size of what most apartment developments are, your, your, your work in progress on that development will be over 100 million euros. If you think about it, 100 million euros is a lot of money just to have work in progress. This is in bricks and blocks. This is not in land. This is just in bricks and blocks. To, and ultimately, you'll only get 300 units at the end of it. And a developer or a state agency or a state body have to carry that work in progress. Whereas delivering own-door housing, the work in progress profile changes, instead of being 100 million, goes to 10 million. So you can see how the economics change quite quickly. And that's simply, you can't, you can't move one person into an apartment block till you're 100% complete. In own-door housing, you can build 10 units and move someone in. So that's simply from those dynamics. And, and, and there's, there's a number of aspects. The, the construction in, in apartments is greater weighted towards commodities and things like that. You have a lot more concrete. You have a lot more aluclad. You have balcony systems that are more expensive. So all of these add to the cost. The other thing that you have to remember with apartments is you have massive communal space. So to get to each apartment... You have to build corridors and fire exits and things like that and elevators, whereas own door housing, it's a front door into your home. So when you take all those costs out, now you can reduce the cost. But why is it that in every other city, major city in Europe, they seem to be able to build apartments? Um, but in, in Ireland, it seems to be, in Dublin, it seems to be uh, a huge problem. And presumably they're building them at, at an economic cost. And the other thing is, I mean, if you're, if you're surely, again, you're able to build more apartments on a footprint um, then you will own door housing. Uh, so, yeah, and, you know, the height guidelines have been largely done away with, haven't they? But, but our proposal is not about putting our proposal across the city centre. Our proposal is about suburban developments. So, so even though you can apply, remember, we said you're swapping 40 units of a mix of apartments and housing for 40 units that are all owned or housing. So the land has no effect on that. That, that doesn't make any difference to that. Um, in, in other jurisdictions, absolutely. And I suppose if you look at the UK, our nearest neighbour, it builds apartments in the city centre, but it doesn't build apartments in its suburbs. 
So it's realized quite quickly. Suburban housing is the predominant product that the customer wants to buy and can afford, particularly for families that are starting out. To, to accommodate that, what they've done really well in the UK is they've looked at their standards and they've looked at the regulations and say, how can we get a better outcome to produce as much product as possible that's affordable and viable for the consumer to do so? And to some degree, that's exactly what our proposal is taking best practice from other jurisdictions. In, in, in the sense of, co- of producing apartments, Apartments are predominantly, and if you look at the likes of the Germany, uh, German market and places like that, they produce predominantly apartments, but all in the city centre. But the standards are different. The standards of our apartment today versus what they build in Germany are chalk and cheese. And, you know, our, our energy efficiency, our regulations, all of those things are completely different versus our, just to give you a simple example. In, in Ireland today, you have to operate when you're building apartments. You have to go under a rule of dual aspect. So 50% of the product has to be dual aspect. And to achieve 50% dual aspect means that the communal space to build an apartment block is much greater because less people can access off corridors and things like that. So simply to get the ratio, instead of being able to get in Germany, where they probably get 15 to 20 units off their core, we operate around six to 10 and 10 is pushing the limits the predominant time you only get six and new standards are coming from daylight and sunlight analysis which is going to actually make it a lot more difficult to comply with this which will ultimately drive up the cost of producing it that's just one simple example so if you take the own door product that we're proposing and streamlining that you achieve dual aspect because you've got front and back uh, elevations which, which comply with this. And so in apartments, yeah. that's, that's one of the things that are driving up the cost. But there's a number of factors. If you think about the simple inflation market that exists out there today, and if you think about a home, if a home costs less money pr- to produce than an apartment, and say the baseline is 100, with the inflation rate that's moving out there, if the baseline for, for the house goes up by 10%, the apartment that goes up by 10,000, the apartment goes up by 20 grand. That's the simple economics of the inflation market that exists. With If you take the baseline at being 100 of all construction costs, the apartment's going to become more expensive simply produced with the inflation that's in the system. So our proposal eliminates some of that cost. And what would your proposal do for house prices? So let's say uh, the government was to go along with this and you're allowed to build these 100 uh, own door uh, houses on your scheme. And um, what, you know, typically what would that mean for the price of a house? Well, we, we've we've run the analysis and we believe that there's up to reducing up to 20% in the cost of producing the product. I think the three or four main benefits of our proposal is if you think about what's happening in Ireland today and, and, and you only have to look at the rental report that's come out this morning, is rents are increasing, increasing now nationally. Now, there's a number of dynamics across that. But what's becoming really apparent is there isn't enough of housing being built across the country. What our proposal will do is suddenly prop schemes or developments that are not viable today, it opens up their viability automatically because the price that the, the developer or the builder needs to achieve has been opened up dramatically because of what the consumer can now afford. So if you bring more viability and you bring more supply into the system, ultimately this will, will help alleviate the crisis that exists. So that three hundred and thirty grand house, um, typically that that's what you were talking about in terms of uh, yeah. a two bed seventy five square meters. What would that cost? We're seeing the ratio at the moment. This is what we're seeing out there is to to provide the mix to make it viable to deliver your forty five percent apartments and your fifty five percent housing is costing us around three seventy five to four hundred thousand on average. Whereas if we move to all owned or product 
and eliminate their apartments, we could shift that price down to somewhere between 315 and 325. And that's a mix across. That's a a mix. That's simply removing the removing the 55 and 45 percent and changing it all to 100 percent. You could move the cost down to what we we've said. And if you think if you think about this, Kieran, and I think this is the most logic point is to solve the housing crisis, we simply need more supply across the road, across the board. If you open up as much schemes as possible, ultimately supply comes, and if supply comes, that has a dampening effect on the market, and it means. The, the entire sector then can perform. And at the point we've been consistently making is this is not for the benefits of Glenvey. This is for the benefits of everyone. This is for approved housing bodies, local authorities. If you think about the logic of this, if a local authority wants to build a scheme today and it has to comply with the density standards required, it has to build 55 owned door housing and 45% apartments. If you simply remove the apartment cost, that local authority should be able to provide that own door product cheaper. That's the logic in this argument. Yeah, now a lot of the commentary has uh, centered around, I suppose, what are the benefits for um, the property industry for for builders um, and that we shouldn't be taking uh, advice necessarily from builders in terms of housing standards. So in this uh, scheme, if it was to go ahead, what would it mean for Glenvey's profits? Would they be higher or lower uh, as a whole uh, as a result of this? Glenvey wants to provide as much product as possible. Our long-term goal is to deliver 3,000 units per year. For us, the most important thing is delivering volume. Our proposal opens up more viability across the board, which ultimately allows us to deliver more product to the consumer. For us, it's about the amount of product we supply, not the operating margin that we're trying to apply. But in terms of this uh, scheme that you've, you know, you've sketched out to the government, uh, ultimately, would there be more profit in a scheme like that with owned our housing for Glenvey than uh, under the current situation where you have to provide apartments? But but go back to if if I can create more viability by opening up more schemes, we can deliver more prop more profit. It's not about the margin that we're trying to achieve per unit. It's actually just simply having more volume. That's where we get economies of scale here. And I suppose if you look at Glenvey, where we've really tried to go, and we've probably gone further than most, we have looked at the critical supply chain of how we need to integrate, and we're probably the leader out there in the sense of we've. We don't look at ourselves as being a developer. We look at ourselves as a manufacturer. And manufacturers make money when they produce more and more product. And what we want to do is open up as much supply out there as possible. And that's how both society, the taxpayer, and ultimately Glenvey will benefit as well. Yeah, sure. But just in terms of the scheme, Stephen, um, and I think it's important for people to to sort of get a sense of this, um, is it going to be a more profitable scheme for Glenvey or any other builder um, if it's 100 owned doors as opposed to a mix of houses and apartments? It's not going to be more profitable. What it's going to mean is that the, to produce the product is going to cost less. And ultimately, if we can provide more product out there, we do benefit. That's the bottom line for us. And that's, that's what we need to do to solve this crisis. Because if we don't supply more product, we will never solve this. And that's that's the critical path. And, and I suppose what people haven't realized, and everyone is out there having a debate, what's what's causing this and what are the issues? There has been things that have do- been done in, in our planning policy over the last five or six years that we're now seeing the unforeseen circumstances that are coming through the system. Go back to my point. 
How have we ended up that 80% of all the product that now has planning permission is apartments and only 20% is scheme housing, which is what the customer wants. And this is going to have issues for all we've tried to do is come up with a proposal that makes it more viable to deliver product out there. That is what the consumer wants and that the, the sector can deliver. Um, and, and if you think about it, we're, we're now in a, in a space where, and, and everyone argues, well, it, the rental crisis has been caused by institutional investors. But if you look at the rent increases that are out there across the board and, and who actually is the biggest landlord, individual mom and pop landlords are the biggest landlord in Ireland. They're exiting the market at speed and where they're exiting, we can't supply any new product because it's not viable under the present regulations. And what we're saying is here is an alternative solution where the sector can respond and supply more product, which helps reduce not both the demand for housing, but also the rental crisis in tandem with that. Stephen, who have you presented this idea to? We've presented this to the Department of Housing. It's left with them. And I suppose, ultimately, we, we have only made this proposal because we believe in the merits of the difference it can make. This is for policymakers and government to decide on exactly how we'll go. But we do think this, this doesn't solve the entire crisis, but we do genuinely think it'll make a big difference. And we really need to make a difference now as quickly as possible because what we can see coming down the track is... You have so many apartments, such limited amount of, of, of scheme housing in the system that the choices are going to become very limited into the future. And ultimately, we, we've seen schemes where the government have come out with Creekona. What they're trying to do with Creekona is make where unviable apartments to get them delivered. If we keep going with the trajectory, we're going, we are going to have to just keep putting subvention to get those apartments. And, and the most important thing point in this, Kieran, is it doesn't matter whether it's the private sector delivers it or the state delivers. They are just simply expensive to deliver. And, and the, the, the evidence is there. In all the debate that was there on Oscar Trainer Road, Dublin City Council and Brendan Kenny came out and said, to deliver the same scheme that Glenvere delivering, or if DCC were to deliver themselves, would be more expensive for the local authority. The private sector can build this more efficient than anyone. We have the best resources. We know how to do this. We've done it day in, day out. We know how we have to deal with all the regulatory framework that's out there. I think people need to have the mature debate that what is fundamentally wrong? And what we see fundamentally wrong is we're building urban product in suburban locations. We're not catering for what the consumer needs out there or for what the sector can afford to deliver. Stephen, have you presented it? Have you spoken to the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, about this? We, we made our presentation to the Department of Housing. We also made the presentation to the Minister. Um, we leave it with them. That, that's, what was that's his reaction? Quite, overall, quite positive. Um, I suppose the thing was that, that what we outlined to him quite quickly was when we decided to come and do the study, what we did was we put ourselves in the boots of the consumer. What's the consumer salary? What can they afford under the macro potential rules and worked ourselves backwards? That's what we tried to do. And that's what he's, that was the difference that I suppose where we ended up with what we looked at. Because what a lot of policymakers are doing is just simply putting policy into the system, but there's no cost benefit analysis. There's no viability assessment. And that's why to a degree we've ended up where we are. If you don't put your boots into the consumer, it, it, what can the consumer afford today and what is their needs for? Then you figure out what we need to supply. And unfortunately, what we're doing at the moment, what we and this is policy that, that has been inherited over five years ago, is we're designing product that we think looks good, good on a page, but its deliverability or its viability are completely challenged.
So where does it go from here? Um, does it just sit in the shelf? Or are you following it up? Or um, is it put into, is, is an advisory group set up maybe to, to look at this? My, my understanding is that the department have set up a broader uh, committee to examine all proposals. Um, my concern, I suppose, for where this potentially could go is that instead of looking at what the standards are today and the regulations, there may be a call to look at just putting higher density. So instead of being 40 units a hectare, we go to 50 or 60 or, or even potentially to hyper densities. And ironically, the headline from that will be is instead of having 40 square meters of garden space, we'll have no garden space. And that may be where policymakers ultimately go, because they believe if we put more density, we'll solve the problem. Actually, ironically, that's been the challenge. The density has been the challenge at the moment. So my advice is look at the look at the merits of our proposal. And again, it's there for the policymakers to examine it, to test it. They can also go out and say land development agency. If you build under the present regulations that are there today, how much does it cost? If you go with Glenvey's proposal, how much does it cost? And if the land development agencies or approved housing bodies or local authorities says, yes, there is a cost savings, well, then it shows there is a cost savings. And I think you've also you've also done some sessions with Fingal and Wicklow County Council, am I right? We did. And, and an example of that is obviously we are quite active in those local authorities Um we see the challenges that are coming down in those local authorities. Like if you just look at Fingal at the moment, uh, and we see this, that Fingal have approximately about 8,000 units granted in the planning system. We believe somewhere between 70 or 80% of those are apartments. And the challenge for that is, how is that going to be delivered? Because the demand for that, that apart, those apartment schemes is quite limited. So we think that's going to be a huge challenge. Um, we're there to look, we, we work with these local authorities day in, day out. Um, we're very active in their vicinities. And I suppose for us, what we try to do is lay out a plan. And just, just to give a simple example, we're involved obviously in one of the partnerships in Ballymastow, which is in Fingal. To comply with its density, ultimately we have to put some apartments in that. But if we had been able to remove the apartments, we could have been able to reduce the overall delivery cost of of that scheme. That's the principle of why we've come about to design this, because we, as as being one of the largest house builders in the country, and as I said, the two biggest house builders are providing more housing than the 31 local authorities combined. We have more experience than anyone. What is driving up the costs out there and what we can do to reduce those costs? What was the saving on delivery costs potentially? It was, as we said, if you remove the apartments, you could change the dynamics up there by about 20%. And that, that, was, that was simply just, just looking. And, and again, that removed the argument that this is, you know, this is developer's land. That's actually state land. And we have to provide more housing up there, more, uh, more housing than, than most schemes. And that was one of the things we identified. If the apartments weren't in the scheme, we could have actually reduced the overall cost of delivering. But in the end of the day, we have to work within the policy that exists. The policy hasn't been changed, so the policy that exists is what we have to work on. And we have to keep going day in, day out to deliver schemes across the board. If there is to be changes, we won't see the effects of these changes for probably 12 to 24 months. Stephen, what impact is uh, the inflationary environment having on wages in your sector at the moment? Um, it's interesting what we're seeing out there. Um, we're seeing inflation peaking, um, and we expect the second half of the year or to the back end of the year, inflation to have cooled down. Um, we're certainly seeing a lot of a lot more availability of labour. Um, there is challenges on some elements of the labour, but but across the board, we're seeing more available labour. Now, there's a few dynamics at play. We're certainly seeing that Ireland being allowed to stay open for longer 
has been a benefit. It has attracted more labour into the country. Um, we're seeing some commercial projects probably to a degree being paused or not going ahead. Um, we are seeing some institutional buyers, um, you know, they're, they're, they're certainly examining whether they're going to keep investing in Ireland at this moment in time. And that's due to, to the number of factors. Inflation is higher. Interest rates are going to go up. Um, the, cost of, the cost of capital has gone up. So that's going to be challenges we're going to face down the road. You know, the world has changed very quickly in, in 120 days. We now have a war in Europe. We have an inflationary environment. Um, these are going to be challenges for the cost of capital and the availability of capital, more importantly, because the availability of capital is being reduced now on an ongoing basis. We used to live in a world 12 to 18 months ago where there was free money that was being issued by central banks up to the tune of about 250 billion. We now live in a world where quantitative tightening now exists, which is removing the money supply into the system. So the availability of capital is going to be a challenge both for the private sector but also the public sector, more importantly, into the future. And those dynamics still have to play out. We're only at the start of this, not at the end of it. So what's, what's the wage price inflation looking like at the moment? We're seeing wages run somewhere between 4 and and 6% across the board is what we're probably seeing out there. Um, and that's probably, you know, in the end of the day, the cost of living has gone up for everyone. We still have to make sure that that people can still afford to live. But that's to a degree, it's not staying in line where real inflation is and I suppose the merits of our proposal is this is a way to help reducing. Just to give a, a simple example, and I suppose th- this is the thing that we've really noticed is take a consumer who's paying €2,000 a month at the moment in rent. If we could provide more of the product that we're proposing and the consumer had to get a mortgage for, say, €280,000 a month, that mortgage could cost them €1,000 a month or less. So in the cost of living... The more product that we can supply that the consumer can buy and get a mortgage for, you've reduced the cost of living by 100%. That's a phenomenal change to people out there. And that's what we were saying. That's why the merits of our proposal make a difference here. Stephen, what's the outlook for house prices, in your opinion, particularly with interest rates on the rise? I think I think all you've got to look, to look at is the data. You're, you're having a number of aspects out there. I think the new supply becomes challenging. I think if you look at the commencement data, it has started to roll over. Um, And I think the biggest challenge that I see is that what product is available to be built. So scheme houses, in my view, in the next 12 to 18 months, months, will be at their lowest point in the history of state in, in the state. And I think that's going to be a huge challenge that we simply won't have enough of product. House prices ultimately have to stay in line with wage growth, though, because that that's how the macro potential rules are, are going to be are do work. So, I I think what my worry is that what the consumer needs and wants is going to be at its lowest point in the next twelve months, and that's going to put ferocious pressure on them, in my view. So, in terms of house prices, you mentioned forty six percent price inflation for wages in your sector at the moment. Is that what you're is that what you're expecting in terms of house prices? Let's say over the it, next it, twelve months. It, it, it's very hard to tell, Karen. I suppose the overall market, you know, you would have always seen how new house prices not move in line with, with the overall market. You know, when the market was moving at 10 to 12 or 14 percent, new homes were moving at a, a much lower number. So it really depends how much supply is out there. And it d- does depend what the overall dynamics are in the secondhand market. So the secondhand market will have a much bigger impact because of its weighting to the overall number. So I re- I'm not the expert on the secondhand market, how that mm. evolves. Well, just, uh, be let's just focus on the new homes then. Uh, what kind of yeah. price inflation would you expect 
I, I, I think I, I think what you probably see is you, you probably see somewhere between four to six percent in house price inflation potentially. Now a lot of that is still going to be driven by you know inflation's going to come down, but inflation is at an all time high at this moment in time. But simply the viability of product to deliver it is inevitably, inevitably there's going to be an element of pass on inflation there. Um, so I, it, it's it's too hard to call. I'm not calling exactly what I see. Uh, it, it, it's more, we won't see autumn sales till the end of, of September. That will tell us how the market is going to be performing. But what we are seeing out there is it is very limited to supply we see coming in September. That is probably the bigger concern we see at the moment. We're seeing this across the board where we're seeing developments that we expected to start being delayed due to planning planning issues out there. Um, a number of decisions are being held up now, either in local authority and the board. So that product that is predominantly there for the for the, the private consumer is going to be quite limited next year. So we'll just have to see how that evolves. And when you talk about commencements, how many how many are we talking about? You're saying that we, in we, your we, view, we, they're looking at an all time low. We, we have, I'm not saying commencements are an all-time low. I'm saying What I'm saying is we're seeing the commencement data roll over. So what you're seeing out there at the moment is we probably peaked up in around April April of this year. We got to around 35 units in commencement. Maybe it's slightly earlier, February. We got to 35,000 units commenced. What we've seen over the last number of months is that commencement data roll over. We're now at around 20, 29,000 units. My belief is that you're going to see one or two more spikes into the system as some product starts, but then you see see that roll over. And that is simply down to the dynamics is we are now so weighted with apartments in the system and scheme houses which are viable and what the consumer wants so limited. So my view is you could potentially see the commencement data come down further as we as we move into the year. And that is simply out that there's a number of challenges. You've got the inflationary environment, but then you've also got the amount of the product that's in the system, the weighting between apartments and scheme houses. And those two forces potentially could push down commencements as we move through the year. All right. How many how many new homes do you hope to bring to the market in the next 12 months? Uh, this year we're 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 delivering fourteen hundred new homes. We have a number of schemes that we're hoping to start. Um, we have seen delays in the planning system and getting units through, so we'll we'll probably be covering that towards the back end of the year. But obviously, it'll be more than we're doing this year. Um, we 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 see the consumer in really good health out there. The consumer that you know they're qualifying for mortgages. They have good employment. They just want a home. We're trying to to do as many as possible. But the challenges we're facing from viability to planning to cost we just we've we've come up with a proposal where we think we can really help alleviate this crisis and i suppose that's the merits of our proposal stephen garvey thank you for joining us thank you okay that's it for this week from inside business my thanks to stephen garvey for joining me on the show this episode was produced by suzanne brennan with jj vernon on sound thanks also to our sponsor ey for its continued support Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.